You're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. I'm Amy Hall, and I'm here with Greg Kokel. Hello, Greg. Hi, Amy. Are you ready for your first question? Ready to go. All right. This one comes from C4 The Truth. Encountered this question recently. Why does Jesus' bodily resurrection matter to Christians? What difference would it make if Jesus simply lives on as a spirit and has no body? Well, uh, the way to answer that question scripturally is to just go back to the passages that talk about the consequence of the resurrection, okay? What is the relationship of the resurrection to other issues? Now, I don't have all the verses in front of me, but this is an exercise that um, C for the Truth could do himself or herself, and uh, there's no gender with that particular handle. So this person can do for this person's self. Um, and I do this myself frequently. If I want to get a clear understanding of the biblical teaching on a particular issue, I will just go through every single verse that makes any reference to this. Now, in this kind of situation, it will require reading the entire New Testament, but you don't have to read it slowly. You can read it quickly, or you can skim read it until you find a passage that has to do with the resurrection. You could also look up resurrection and raised in all its various forms, risen, um, you know, so you find all the verses. But um, this is one way to make sure you don't miss anything where there's kind of a side or offhanded or other worded reference to the resurrection. So you get it all. And then copy, paste, whatever, write them down, write these passages down, and then look at them. I mean, it's a great way to do a study, and I've done a number of things this way, and uh, last year I did um, an article called The Legend of the Social Justice Jesus to see exactly where and how did Jesus campaign for the poor and campaign for the outcast, campaign for the marginalized, and it turns out when I read every verse of the New Testament, he never did it, or the Gospels in this case, he never did it a single time, not a single time. So now I have confidence in my view that my view is biblical, the conclusion I come to in that. And the same thing here. What does the resurrection say? I mean, what does the Scripture say regarding the resurrection? And a couple of things come to mind just off the top of my head. So Romans chapter 1, for example, says, he was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection. So the resurrection is a testimony to the deity of Christ. If he had just, I don't know, what what was the thing, come back as a ghost or something like that? Why does it matter that he has a body? Why could he not just simply live on as a spirit? Well, because, be, okay, good, no clarification. Um, if he doesn't have a body, it's not a resurrection. A spirit without a body is a ghost. <laughs> and in fact, this is what, as some have pointed out, that the if if the the disciples were actually hallucinating and did not see the resurrected Christ, which many secularists believe, they would not think it was a resurrected Christ. They would think it was a ghost. They wouldn't have characterized it as a human body. But if, uh, only a resurrection, this is a resuscitation of the body. And you would not have, by the way, the evidence of the resurrection— 
with by the empty tomb. So this is tied together. I mean, that's a practical aspect. I think the question is more theological, but the, the but there is a one of the theological elements is that this is a proof that he is the Son of God. Um, having a disembodied spirit is not evidence that he's the Son of God. Uh, Samuel, a very strange circumstance in first and second Samuel, uh, appeared to Saul with Saul's illicit appeal to have him come back to the dead the, with the witch of Endor. That did not work out well for Saul or for Jonathan or his brother either. But in any event, um, that's what a disembodied spirit would have been, would have been a ghost, what we would call a ghost. Um, Jesus rose to the dead bodily, though, to demonstrate his victory over death. How do you de- and this is another verse, so I'm just making general appeal to the a verse, though I couldn't tell you where it was at. Um, it demonstrates his victory over death. So is uh, a ghost coming back and talking to anybody demonstration of victory over death? No, the body's still dead. All it might prove mind body dualism. Now the body's dead, but the person still is alive. So there's a evidence for the soul. But that that doesn't that doesn't um, that doesn't depict victory over death, right? Resurrection does. Um, it also, since there is going to be a resurrection of all of us, we are following the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits. He's the first fruits. He's the first one to be resurrected from the dead, and that's kind of a not exactly a down payment, but a validation or verification or substantiation of the fact that we're next. He's first, we're next. Okay? And um, there's a passage that says he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Now, that's theological. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no justification. Now, one might want to parse out exactly how does resurrection accomplish justification. It's a separate issue. I'm just making the point now that there is a theological tie. That's another theological tie to the resurrection. So I think if you if uh, see for the truth, and anyone else for that matter, this is a great way to get depth and balance in an understanding of a doctrine. Goes through the text, the New Testament, speed reads, finds all those verses, lists them. They're going to get a great enrichment just by speed reading the New Testament. I mean, it's amazing. Even though you're kind of skimming and looking for the right thing, a whole lot of stuff is sticking while you're skimming. And it is a nice, uh, it, it is a nice alternative to when preachers preach and spend, you know, five years in two verses. Yeah, we speak, preach exegetically, verse by verse. Yeah, but if you do, if it takes you five, you do one word a month, and you're not really getting the, the wholeness of the text of the message of the piece. Those who got the letters themselves read the whole letter. So you're reading it all through, and you're getting a, a different um, impression, I think, of the text and a richness that 
maybe you wouldn't, when we've talked about Bible reading before, I talk about reading slowly, you know, deliberately, so I get a, pair, a chapter done, and you've talked about the benefit of reading more quickly and getting a, a, a more holistic sense of the of the book or something like that. So this would be a way of doing it. But the key thing is, it's a way of getting the full counsel of God. It's a way of, of, of individuals, like see for the truth, to answer the question for themselves. Glad to answer the question. That's not a problem. But I'm trying to disciple here and pass on a skill that I think um, our listeners are going to find to be immensely profitable. This is how you avoid the mistake of imbalance cherry-picking a little here and there, and then ending up with a very lopsided understanding of a particular biblical doctrine? This is an interesting question to me, because I think this is something that would have been asked by the Greeks, and now we're coming back to that same view where the body is not thought of as something that's good, Mm -hmm. and it's thought of as something that limits us or something that's separate from who we are. Or corrupts us, the Greeks' mm-hmm. view. The, the, this would be a Neoplatonism or Gnosticism for those into those terms. <laughs> but but the reality is that our bodies matter. Our bodies are good. Our bodies are essential to what we are as human beings. Without our bodies, we can't interact with the world around us. Right. This It's not just something that's added on to us or that's limiting us. It's something that actually we were created to have. So when you think about that, if we're not, if Jesus wasn't raised bodily, and that means we're not going to be raised bodily, and that means we will not be whole human beings. So in order to be whole human beings, we need our bodies because we are bodies and we are a spirit. And what I reminded of... um, 2 Corinthians 5, here's here's what Paul says. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we, we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Hmm. In other words, while we are in our bodies, it's not that we want to be outside of our bodies. Right. It's that we want redeemed bodies that are made perfect. Whole people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that uh, to this broader issue of the role of the body and the the it, um, mistake people were making as this Neoplatonism began to take root in the first century and then later in, in an explosion of it in the second century in a heresy called Gnosticism. Um, it's interesting what John says, and this is another example where people don't read the whole verse and get a misunderstanding. John says, test the spirits to see of their of God, okay? Oh, we got to test the spirit. That requires a discernment of the spirit. That's a gift of discernment. Oh, okay, I'm going to zero in here in my mind, and I'm going to see if I get the vibe of discernment that this particular teaching is divine or not. That's not what John is talking about. Um, this new doctrine, this Neoplatonism, which um, Gnosticism, which said the flesh was evil— the physical realm was evil. Well, this means that if God visits the earth and God is good, he could not possibly have a physical body. And so the, I, the, the teaching that came out of that conviction into Christianity is called docetism. Docere means to appear. And so Jesus just appeared to have a physical body, but it wasn't a real physical body because that would corrupt him on this way of thinking. And so here's what John says then. 
He said, don't believe every spirit, because remember, it was the spirits that were giving new knowledge. Gnosis, okay? And this whole thing was about getting inside knowledge, included revelations from spirits, a lot of similarities, some, some things that are going on now in evangelicalism. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. How do you test the spirit? Any spirit who does not confess that Jesus, Messiah, has come in the flesh is not of God, but of the spirit of Antichrist. And very interesting, then, the testing of the spirits there was not a subjective thing where you kind of tune into the supernatural and get the vibe from God that this is not right. It was an objective test that was tied to the nature of the incarnation, because that was what was being challenged at that time. Jesus had a human body, and a resurrection is a restoration of that dead body to life. Tomb is empty. Where's the body? Jesus appears to the disciples. Oh, it's a ghost. Now look at it. Feel my body. A A ghost doesn't eat. Give me a piece of fish. Give me a Big Mac. No, look it. It's me. So, so, so that brings me to this, the second thing I was going to say, Greg, exactly. It's not just that we care because there are theological reasons to care. It's that the Bible says that he was raised bodily. That's why we care. We care uh-huh. because that's what it says. And in addition to all the things you mentioned, Greg, there are a couple places in Acts where the apostles were preaching and they talked about how uh, the promises made to David must apply to Jesus because David was put into a grave and he uh decayed. He, he decomposed in the grave. So he that stinketh. <laughs> so he says so that couldn't have referred to Jesus because he did not do that. Right. And so th- all the things that you mentioned plus that I think there are we have good reason to think that's what the Bible is teaching us that Jesus no rose question. bodily. Right. So those are both good reasons to mm. think. All right, Greg, let's go on to a, a question from Stephen Batty. Oh, our old friend Stephen <laughs> Our Batty. friend Stephen Batty. One of the original, he and his wife, one of the uh, Mindy, original donors to Stand to Reason. They're, the very first day we started back in 1993, May 1st. Great, great family. Yeah, big family. Mm-hmm. All right, here's his question. Was Jesus' physical body while on earth fallen? For example, would he have died of old age if he was not killed? Settling a bet for me, I believe no blemish, but they believe that his body was like ours, fallen. That's why he got tired, tempted, aged, killed, No, to Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus' body was mortal, okay? And, um, and so and I know there is some teaching going on that had Jesus not been executed, then he would have, he would have lived forever. But by the way, just an observation, he was executed. If his body was not mortal, he would not have been able to die by execution. Whether you die by execution or disease or old age, it, it's still the physical body is vulnerable to dying. So Jesus had a body that was vulnerable to die, and, and, and it did. And then he was raised from the dead. So um, I, this kind of goes to the question of what is the nature of the fall on human bodies, and um, the 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 fall brought about death. And there's there's a lot of nuances to what that entails. In the day that you eat that thereof, you shall 
surely die. Well, they didn't die physically the day they ate. So what's going on there? And there's there's some discussion, I think, that's legitimate. And actually, Bill Craig thinks that um, that Jesus, that the created bodies were not immortal. The reason for the tree of life is to sustain a mortal body in the garden, okay? And I, I, I have some sympathies to that. And uh, so uh, at least there's a sensibility to that, because I've always even asked myself the question, um, what if what if a big boulder f- fell on Adam? Which is certainly possible. Plate tectonics, things shake, a big boulder crushes him. What now? Does this smashed body walk around? Does the boulder bounce off an indestructible body? If his head got severed, would his head be talking to his body? Say, come over here and put me back. You know, I mean, this sounds kind of silly, but it's a genuine question. And I think it's a, an anomaly that needs to be solved. But I certainly, it's it's clear, certainly to me, that whatever uh, death was the consequence of the fall, whatever death was the consequence of the fall, um, the the... The Jesus had a body that was under that consequence. Now, remember, Jesus is one person and two natures. One person and two natures. That's the Chalcedonian formula. It's bedrock orthodoxy, okay? He, he, he had a human nature and a divine nature. Well, where did the person come from? That person is the second person of the Trinity, which is why he has a divine nature. The human nature is what was added to the divine nature, and the human nature he got was the nature that he inherited from his mother, who was a fallen human being. So he gets a human body that has the same limitations as all human bodies have now um, that, that, uh, that, that we are in a state of fall, physically fallen corruption. To me, that's entirely um, orthodox and and legitimate to say. Now, there may be more to be said. What about what Bill said? What about my concerns? I'm wondering about this. What about all these other things? Well, what about, what about, what about? I don't know. That's some things different people work out different ways. However, it does seem clear to me, given the Chalcedonian formula, that Jesus doesn't have a fallen divine nature, and a fallen person, because it is the second person of the Trinity who is the divine nature in the human of Jesus of Nazareth. The human nature is a nature he got from his mother. She's fallen. It was fallen. Um, and so this is why, I mean, this is the way I would cash that whole thing out. I think I would have to think about that some more, because um, I, wouldn't we say, though, that that Jesus does not have a fallen human nature, and that was the whole purpose for for being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Or are you just talking about the so physical? I'm body? talking about the physical body that it is. It it has it it um it has the consequences. Keep in mind that maybe maybe a way to parse this out is we are body and soul. Okay, so we have a physical body, and we have a a we have a um. We have a soul, okay? The fall has consequences for everything. This is why we call it uh, total depravity. That there is a totality of impact or impact on, on everything regarding humans and creation as a result of the fall. Nothing is not tainted by the fall. Um, the body is 
tainted by the fall. Okay, the, it has the cons. It li- it's the consequences of a fallen body living in a sinful world. Okay, it is not the nature. You know, I guess you could say human nature. He has two natures. He has a human nature, but the body that's that's involved, the physical body, is lives with the contingent the contingencies of a fallen world, and uh, and that's what he inherited. But I don't think he he inherited a fallen nature. He's not fallen himself. Um, but but. Um, he, and this is why I don't think Jesus could have sinned. Um, it, there's also debates about that. I don't know how God could have sinned. You know, to me, it's pretty straightforward. But my point here is that the body that he had was living with the contingencies of the fall. And um, and I think that's all we need to say to answer the question and to conserve the, that Jesus was not a fallen human being, even though his body had the limitations and the influences of the fall. I think some of these questions are really speculative, and you're yeah. <laughs> trying to think through them. But I want to throw one thing out there, and that's that um, I don't think, because in this question, the the people who were arguing with him were saying that his body was fallen, and that's why he got tired, tempted, aged, killed, etc., I don't think our limitations are necessarily a sign of fallenness. Mm. If we're created as limited creatures who rely on other things, food, water, sleep, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily fallenness. I, I think Adam and Eve had to deal with those very mm-hmm. same things. So those aren't necessarily issues with fallenness. Um, so the question would be, you know, Aging, dying, that sort of thing. Vulnerability yeah. to death, right, and st- disease and, and the like. Because I, I, I also, I also have heard people say that on the cross, since he took on our sins, that's what enabled him to die. So that's another thing to consider. But I, uh, it, it's again, I, I almost. <laughs> This is a difficult thing to answer because it's not specifically addressed, and so there are probably people out there better than I who. <laughs> know better about this. Well, you know, I've heard people say things, and some of this stuff comes from the uh, the word faith movement. They have odd Christologies, and you have Adam, before he's fallen, had a super intellect, and he could, he could name all the animals in the whole world in one day because he's moving at light speed. I mean, all kinds of silly things. He's just a real human being. And so is Jesus, and there are consequences to our physical body in a fallen world, but it's, it is not real easy to parse out all those things. Um, but what you mentioned, I think, is really true, and I had not mentioned it myself, but there are some limitations that are native to being a physical human, ir- irrespective of the nature of the fall. Mm-hmm. And I would say, too, even if your body is not... Even if you're not a fallen human being, your body is not, even if your body's not fallen, if you're in a fallen world, there are things in the fallen world that can affect your body, right. regardless of your, whether or not you would have had those problems in an unfallen world. Well, Do you think yeah. that's fair to say? Yeah. I, I, and I'm, part of my speculation is maybe they would have had those problems in an unfallen world, too, you know, like the decapitation illustration. It's extreme, but it does raise the question, what was the nature of the, of, of the human body before the fall? And what, what, what was the nature of immortality or death coming into the human race, etc.? 
And um, I just mentioned Bill Craig. He he said one of the things that surprised him when he is doing his very intense study on the historical Adam is that he came to the conclusion that he didn't think that Adam was immortal. He was physically immortal. Um, he could continue to go on living, and he thinks because that's the tree of life was there for. But uh, once he was separated from the tree of life, which was a result of the fall, then his body took its normal course, you know, and uh, was able to age and eventually die. Now, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I There's a whole lot of people who are probably are going to be really upset at that possibility. But uh, I think it's fair to admit there are ambiguities about what that was before the fall and therefore what the human body was like, excuse me, after the fall. And... Um, uh, but it's clear Jesus was sinless. He did not uh, participate in sin, and that he had a mortal body. And I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have any reason. Uh, I don't have any reason to think that he only became mortal when God put sin on him, as it were. That was a judicial act. That was not ontological. It isn't like he invented. Well, th- there's a verse that says he became sin for us, but that's it can't be ontological because G- God can't become literally turn into sin. It means the punishment was placed upon him. That's the point. And uh, it's just like saying turn the God turned his back on Jesus. The Father did well. The Father doesn't have a back, and he doesn't turn left or right. It's it's a way of speaking to try to capture something true about the incarnation and the and the atonement and so there's a pouring out there but i uh but jesus didn't you know become sin in that sense mm-hmm. anyway there's so there, there there are some real mysteries about this and this is why for hundreds and hundreds of years the first 600 years or so four, four to 500 years the the debates in the church of the uh, theology were all, all christological Mm-hmm. They were all whether it's Nicaea or Chalcedon or Ephesus, these all these different, um, you know, grand meetings of the church are trying to parse this all out. Well, thank you, Greg, and thank you for your questions, C for the Truth and Stephen Batty. We appreciate hearing from you, and we look forward to hearing from you with your question on Twitter with the hashtag #STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 